0: It's what you decide to do in life. So we talk about kindness. I know Mm. this word is used a lot in our network, certainly, but I chose to remain humble and kind from a very young age Mm. and not allow these experiences to define who, who I could end up in perhaps in the wrong way, say cold-hearted or losing the passion for life or not wanting to help others because yeah. you lost your energy. So there is a, an inner sort of strength that you have to consciously choose to, to be the, the right person.
1: Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future program platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018 in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break their successes, failures and inspirations along the way and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Winner of the Community Spirit Award in 2017, Kristina Gavrilovic is the Head of European Operations at Justice & Care, an organisation that supports victims of slavery and human trafficking by empowering them to rebuild their lives. In her former role as the Anti-Slavery Partnership Coordinator for Essex Police and Kent Police, Christina had the opportunity to address the gaps in our social justice system, ensuring organisations put human trafficking and modern slavery at the top of their agenda. With a focus on victim identification as well as rescue and support, Christina implemented four new partnership boards which set tasks and achieve objectives on a local level. Alongside this, Christina delivered a safe house for victims, awareness training for over 8,000 frontline professionals and has raised funds to support victims and bring offenders to justice. Her work safeguards hundreds of victims every year. Alongside her Woman of the Future Award, she is also the recipient of many other accolades, including the Marsh Award for Outstanding Contribution to the Fight Against Slavery and the Marie Claire Future Shapers Awards in 2018. I caught up with Christina at her offices in London.
0: I was born in Romania, in a small town in the west side of the country. And from a very young age, I had to learn to, to grow up quite quickly. Uh, my mother felt very ill around about age nine for me. Um, And then she subsequently passed away when I was 12 because of cancer. So I learned to run a household and support my mom and manage school. And my younger brother, was my my, my father worked three shifts sort of to look after us. So for me, it was a a very serious childhood. Um, And the environment where I grew up in, uh, very few opportunities were made available to the young generation, for example, say university opportunities. They were non-existent, the, the cost and the abilities just too much. So I was very quickly aware of other families struggling and when those families were struggling, I could see the father or the mother turning towards alcohol and then I could see the violence really sort of coming through so I would have neighbours that would go through that and I could hear that sort of the the conflict in the household. And very quickly I I learned that there's no support for those kids um, because they were my school friends. I used to play with them, we were neighbours, and they had no one to turn to. Um, So the the system in place was really unfair when when it came to family support. I could see the poverty, I could see the lack of opportunities, I could see what uh, substance abuse uh, did to a family, and I could see how a young generation went from a very young age
1: through these struggles with no one to support them. Do you think having a mature head on young shoulders actually made you have more of an insight into these issues, or is it something that you were had heightened awareness of?
0: Yes, I, I think it has because when, for example, when I learned to budget the, the the sort of household money for say the the food and and whatever needs the household has on behalf of my father and mum, I quickly realised how how you know you have to make some a very small sum last quite a long time. Mm-hmm. I could also see the costs or the prices. For example, alcohol was much cheaper than bread. You could buy a liter of some, you know, some rum that was at a a fraction of what a loaf of bread was costing. So it was very easy accessible. It does give you a a heightened sort of sense of awareness of what an adult might struggle with or Mm. a family might struggle with because I could see how I struggled and I had a fairly stable foundation in my own home.
1: Mm. So did you go through education fully in Romania, or did you do that when you moved here? How did that kind of yeah? That work? So
0: unfortunately for my family, after my mom passed away, my own father turned to alcohol himself to go go through the the grief and. For the first couple of years, it was incredibly tough because the alcohol completely took over him, so he became a full-time alcoholic. My chores at home became increasingly more difficult. My school um, focus was decreasing, so my attention went to my younger brother. My father was also a violent um, alcoholic, so I started experiencing the domestic violence that towards, I could see. you? Yeah, life. yeah. It, it's, it, it's always kept in a family. There's a saying in Romania where you don't... Uh, wash your laundry, dirty laundry in public, everything happens behind closed doors. So that culture of no one is going to get involved, no one is going to step in uh, was very much something I began to see. So not only have I seen it throughout my childhood in others Mm -hmm. and began feeling sorry for them, I then started seeing it in my own home. And, you know, it's things like neighbours would know because they could hear yeah. that and no one yeah. would come in and... and was it was it quite they, serious? Yeah, yeah, it was to the point where...
1: From, I mean, obviously, all domestic yeah, violence of course, on of any course. level is...
0: So when, when, when we're talking about physical violence, it was never, um, you know, my understanding of what psychological uh, coercive sort of behaviour is now. I wouldn't say that that's something that my father was able to do, mm. but the physical violence was certainly something he turned to as, as a way of coping, so the assaults were so serious at times where you need to seek police support and again the police back then were very much, well once they sober up we'll have a chat and we'll see what, what we can do to stop this from happening. Right. But there wasn't a social care system in place, yeah. there was, they rely on your family network, say your grandmother or your an auntie or an uncle to look after you and, and to see you through this. And, and you become quite isolated, I mm-hmm. think, because everybody knows what's happening and everybody's sort of turning an eye, a blind eye on it, um, inclusive of the authorities. And you start sort of thinking, if I stay here, where will I end up? Um, right. So I then asked my sister from Germany to foster me. She she had moved to Germany a long time before she... My two sisters are from my mom's first marriage, so they're right. my half-sisters and right. quite, quite a lot older. So I was fostered by my sister in Germany and then moved to UK when I was 16, wanting to... By then I was probably more like 25 in my head, you know, I was so grown up and I wanted my own independence, I wanted to just be out there in the world. In fact, I actually wanted to study law, so I thought I'll come in, learn English and then mm. find a way to study law. That dream did come true, but it was about 12 years later <laughs> when I did did do actually a, law, a legal degree. So I, uh, my sister supported me through initial stages of school, so...
1: Originally,
0: I was actually a beautician, so I did an English uh, year, uh, the English course, and then the vocational course. Um, in, in Germany? No, here. Oh, right. So I was okay. 16, I moved here. 14, I moved to Germany. 16. your sister, you stayed there for yeah, a couple of years, years. Two years. And year. then I knew, yeah, I knew that the life in Germany was not going to be for me. Right. I don't know what it was about, I just did not feel right. So I mm. just wanted to explore. We have some friends here, still do family friends. Yeah. They were prepared to put me up, they were prepared to offer me the first initial steps of a pathway yeah. that I might carve for myself or I might not right. um, and it worked out for me so that's 20 years ago. So
1: your experiences of moving to the UK were all quite nice and uh Safe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I yeah.
0: think that's probably um, everything else I had to learn to do so even mm. things like finding the course and yeah. my sister you know knowing how to pay for it finding a part-time job whilst I was a student yeah. um, so I had I had that kind of financial stability to for my basic needs Then learning to so my, my priority was to learn a skill and I thought I can do this skill You know it's yeah. a year sort of vocational training. I can become a beautician I secured a job three months before I finished the year, so I then started working in a in a salon I then became financially independent, so I had my own place and paid my own rent then I met uh, what was then my husband to be, and I was married at 19. And that was sort of, the, the plan has, has sort of unfolded itself. UK is what I'm staying, it's what I'm married, it's what I've
1: trained, it's what I've got a job. So within five years, you left your home country, yep. you moved to another country, Germany, yep. and you moved to another country than the yep. UK. And you were married, yeah. and you were a trained beautician. Yeah, That's was quite incredible, yeah, was, wasn't it? Yeah.
0: So I didn't realize that beautician uh, role wasn't for me. Okay. And I still have this need to, to do more. And again, when you're in a position where you're sort of thinking, what, what, what's a priority for me? Is it a family, a home, and children? Or is mm. it investing in a career? So I chose family and children. What, I what does your husband do? Ex-husband. And since then, remarried.
1: Okay. (laughs) So Um, I'm counting on number
0: two. (laughs) (laughs) But no, it's... uh, Practice Run the first time. Yeah. So uh, he was a mechanic back then. And he then changed his uh, career pathway to car salesman. He then changed again in these 10 years we were together and married Mm -hmm. for eight. He changed to having his own business. And now Mm -hmm. he runs a successful business where he produces items made out of glass. So steps and floors and and so on. Um, So we worked together for 10 years and during this time I realized that working in walls full of projects would be the place that I I thrive the most. So give me a problem uh, and let Mm. me find the answers, uh, embed the answers. And then move on. So I started working within a home office contract and the, the healthcare, where prisoners who couldn't go to mainstream prisons would go to specialist units. Right. So I ended up working in these specialist units and looking at how those services were being delivered. Uh, at first. Okay. I I you walk your way through. You start as a junior, and then you. So you what kind your way of through. so what
1: kind of crimes then? Would go? So
0: anything from murder to serious uh, sexual violence, sort of assaults. Um, so
1: why were they not going to prison? Why was
0: that? Usually, it's a uh, mental health. Right, uh, they were too vulnerable. They would there, there would have had to be some vulnerability involved, either a physical disability, and they would be at risk, or a mental health. So mm. we would we would work with that. Also, part of that contract was to assess whether someone was fit to plead guilty or not guilty. Um, right. So again, there was sort of an assessment part, and there was a sort of carrying out your a sentence part. Alongside with that, once they're during the sentence sort of part, they would have exposure to various programs that would help them reintegrate into the com- community safely, right. so that they wouldn't reoffend again. So I did that for ten years, which allowed me to not only grow in my Project management side um, and my experience of the public sector, but also allowed me to build a home and a future. If
1: you had children, no, the thing. children never oh, happened.
0: Oh, see. Um, I do have step two step now right. from my husband's side, but for me, children never happened. Um, long medical issues um, which again I had to make some tough decisions and I reached a decision in my late 20s where I had to have sort of a partial hysterectomy With that children were, were never going to be part of my my own biological children, will never right. be part of my world and and that was fine because again I always felt that somehow I will be surrounded by, by children, or okay. I'll have some kids in my life, whether it's through my nephews and nieces or, yeah. you know, a partner that has was, was children. Was it traumatic
1: for you at the time, or were you quite yeah. traumatic about it, or how did you...? Well, at, uh, this
0: by the time I made a decision, I had already spent four years in the clinical setup mm. dealing with this issue. Um, so it started with an ectopic pregnancy, and I was 24 when that happened and it was so severe that I was, quite literally, I was about three, four hours away from dying, and what I didn't realize that the pregnancy had ruptured and I was internally bleeding, I just put it down to a very late, bad period. So I thought, no, it, it's just a bad period. I'm just gonna keep going and take a few painkillers, and then a week
1: later, as women do. Right? Yeah, as women do. That's <laughs> exactly like, what it was. I you that pain yeah. on,
0: I? it was you know hot baths at night and quite yeah. a few painkillers, and I thought, my God, this is a really bad period. So I'm just gonna you know just go through it. Then I fainted mm-hmm. a week later. I just fec- just collapsed. I was taken to the N.E. I wake up in the N.E. and they say is there any chance that you could be pregnant? So I said, well, I thought I was, mm-hmm. because we were sort of waiting for, yeah. uh, just waited a few more days just in case. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a test and confirmed that I was showing signs that I was pregnant, but also that I was bleeding internally. And wow. it was so so severe, they had to take me into surgery then and then. So they removed the pregnancy. I still say pregnancy because it was, it, it usually ruptures between nine and 10 weeks. So yeah. it's quite, quite far gone by then. Uh, and they had to remove my tubes and because of the damage that, that it caused. And that was sort of in and out of hospitals scenes. And to this day I still don't know what caused it. You know, yeah. there's so many causes for it, but it just it happened. I remember that experience was yeah. Yeah, sort of all over the show because you're going into, why me? And then you're going into, but I would be a perfect mom. And it's then, hormonal
1: as well, isn't and it? And then the hormones because yeah. you're still yeah. pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> Your
0: body's still yeah. saying I'm kind of ready for, for a, a child. The recovery of it was quite, the physical recovery was quite intense because it was such a serious surgery. It took about a month before I was able to really walk up straight properly and go back to driving. And then you're searching for answers, so we continued to search for answers. So before we fell pregnant, we we realized we weren't falling pregnant, so we started having some tests done, so that again went on for two Mm. years. Then we did fall pregnant and then that went wrong. It took us another two more years to really get some answers. By which point, the strain of the whole clinical environment and the stress and the hormonal imbalances and opening a new business and working and, mm. and you know, going through all this, uh, we realized that we we were more like family friends than lovers, than a, than a couple. So we parted ways. We had a very, even to this day, you know, if I saw him... Amicable. Uh, very amicable. Mm. It was a straightforward non-traumatic divorce. Uh, yeah.
1: I think sometimes when you met someone so early on in your own life, and you think about how much you've changed from 19 yeah, to 7, years to twenty seven it's an incredible yeah. amount of development within yeah. yourself as a person yeah. and not just as a couple. So, yeah. Yeah. You do, yeah.
0: and and if I could, you know, we can't go back in time, and I've always said don't ever go back, you know, no, to, to, to wishing it uh, not mm-hmm. to have happened, but I would absolutely and categorically say that getting married at a more younger age you really need to be sure mm-hmm. that that is what you want and, and also appreciate that there'll be changes. Um, you will change. And I certainly yeah. changed 10 times over in those 10 years. You want different things. Unless you're flexible enough as a couple to go yeah. through this, you'll break because you'll pull back towards towards mm-hmm. something that doesn't doesn't exist anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: he said, you know, I don't love you like a wife I, I and, and mm-hmm. it's no, it's, we shouldn't continue. So we, we ended the marriage. And it was then that I realized I need to, to make some serious decisions about what I want to head into, So, but what do I want to focus on? Because I don't ever want to put a partner through what I've just gone through in the last four years. So I spent a year going backwards and forwards, making sure that every possible thought and regret that I might have in 20 years' time mm-hmm. or in 30 years' time, it's already been thought of and I've come to terms with it. So the, the you know the worst thing that could happen for me is to wake up in my 50s and say, I wish I yeah. had. And then once I was uh, at ease and comfortable that I'm making the right decision, I decided at that point that biological children will never be something that I will ever experience um, of, of my own.
1: You've been through some, some very traumatic experiences in your life. It seems that you've got now like a very sensible head on your shoulders. I mean, you must have gone through processes to help you deal with them or is it just the benefit of time now that you can look back and just think, that's why my dad was like that, That you know, that experience within my marriage is particularly horrible, but you know, I've dealt with it and I'm in a very safe and stable place right now. Like, you see, these are huge things. These aren't just, I broke my arm, you know, it's just, these are actually quite life defining moments essentially, but you seem like you've really got it together.
0: I, I remember I actually had this conversation with someone not, not, not a long ago and it, it's what you decide to do in life. So we talk about kindness, I know mm. this word is used a lot in our network certainly, but I chose to remain humble and kind from a very young age mm. and not allow these experiences to define who who I could end up in perhaps in the wrong way, say cold-hearted, or losing the passion for life, or not wanting to help others because you lost your energy. So there is an inner sort of strength that you have to uh, consciously choose to to be the the right person. But of course, it does help to surround yourself with people that think like you. So Mm -hmm. I've always said that you attract what you project. So my network, my inner circle of what is now family, not blood, but it's now family, have you know walked the same journey with me and i was able to see different points of view and different perspectives and allow other people to come in and and help when needed Mm. so if it was i remember i came out of the hospital once i had to have a follow-up surgery after the 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 marriage finished i had to have one final surgery to to remove some of my internal items i couldn't wash my head and i couldn't feed myself so my closest absolute closest to friends one Mm. was washing my hair and one was feeding me and it's little things like that it's okay to be weak and it's okay to go for help but there was also an acknowledgement that some of these events have caused some serious psychological kind of impact i wanted to understand what that looked like so i saw a counselor i remember i had to look for the right person Mm. and i found this individual who was specialist in a number of areas things like you know healthy relationships and looking at Mm -hmm. if you experience violence you know and so I I saw her and she was able to walk me through every single step of my journey Mm -hmm. and help me understand what it all meant and, and how I am today isn't might it? be a product of perhaps how I've grown up to be. Through that, a lot of sort of specialist exposure to her services. I was able to learn how to manage when I, I used to be quite black and white when it mm. came to certain things, learning to see the grey. Understanding that there isn't, you know, bad things is not gonna happen. they're not gonna happen. But it's what you grow up with. Yeah, you know, sure. what if we run out of money or what if you know, my dad comes home again and, you know, there's, there's, there's harm. So, understanding that that's actually no longer the case
1: yeah. and
0: learning how to remove some of the armors you build as a, as a, as a person. And then of course the family. My family, although we're a small a small network, uh, they've been fantastic the acceptance of everything. Mm. There was no, you know, cultural imposures, you know, oh well you're divorced. Oh my goodness, it's a shame on a family. You know, it's like, you know, how what can we do to you know yeah. how can we walk this journey in a with Western you? World. Yeah. yeah. So in Romania traditionally, you know, you stay married mm. and the man is the head of the family. You deal and, with it, yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't do that. So I would say, above everything else, is having love and kindness and respect mm. surrounding me allowed me to just heal. And in time, of course, 20 years later, yeah. everything everything just feels different.
1: So tell me more about Justice in Care and how you came to be involved and what they do. Oh, my goodness. Well,
0: they're an amazing, absolutely amazing organisation. I met Justice in Care in the last year of being with the police forces and their values and their their structures are second to none. So coming out of a public sector after 16 years is very, it takes something special for me to step out into the private sector. So Justice and Care is is an organisation that has been focusing on human trafficking and, and modern day slavery for over 10 years now. They have looked at concepts and solutions and programs and models of operating that would help the journey of a victim when Mm. they go through this crime. Because it's not just the trafficking that we're talking about, we're talking about poverty and again domestic violence and mental health, sexual violence, all these different factors. As well as not just rebuilding lives for for the victims, but looking at how to prevent that harm How all the individuals who are causing harm, how to prevent them from from continuing um, to operate. So they've always worked in partnership with a law enforcement agency or the government. Mm-hmm. So where there's care, there'll be justice, and vice versa. Okay. So that model then came over into Europe, and uh, having worked with them for a year to embed one of their models into Kent and Essex Place, I realised that this is an organisation that I really wanted to to be part of. So yeah, it's how I have ended up here.
1: And is it? Operate on a local, national, global level? Kind of so, what's the
0: impact and I yeah. suppose your role personally yeah. as well? So the operational branch of Europe started with me. So when I came in a year ago, it's when we, we began our operational um, side into Europe. We go local to global. So we start locally, we look at the local needs and issues, but we look at it from a global perspective, the, the connectors, um, the origins, the destinations, the impact it has uh, on both the victims and the, the agencies working with visitors. So how
1: do you hear about it? Do you hear about it through the police? Or how does the information come to you? Yeah,
0: so our contracts and the way we work is always through a police or through a government agency. Our resources, our specialist resources are embedded within that agency. So we add a victim focused, an absolute victim centered Mm. aspect to the criminal investigation. What we do is independent from the police, Um, so the criminals and the offences are taken care of by the police, but the victim and the victim strategy falls under us. Um, So all of the needs, absolutely all the needs that you can think of, we start to navigate all of the services and the difficulties they might go through and offer opportunities that they they can access when in need. Something I wish I had when I was a child, if I'm honest.
1: (laughs) Sounds incredible. Do you think if you had had it when you were a child, how do you think that might have changed things?
0: I think for start, my father would have received the right support.
1: Mm.
0: I, I have to be fair and, and say that prior to my um, mom falling really ill, I had one of the best childhoods I could ever think of and the, mm. the flashbacks of those memories are amazing. Uh, the alcohol completely consumed him and there was no way for him to turn for help, nor did he know that he could get help. Yeah. Um, so I think if he received help, that would have been a first step. But it was more the emotional and the psychological impact that losing a parent and going through you know, traumas of, of poor health and, mm-hmm. and then your father, that was really where I think would have changed completely the course of my life. Yeah. I really do think it would have. Are you, still, are you still in touch with your father and your brother? Well, with yeah, with, uh, with all of my family, but my father. Okay. So when I moved to Germany, I realized at that point that there was nothing that I could do in my power to change him, or to help him. And then as the years went by, I, I was more and more disconnected from the father-daughter relationship. And by the time we came to talk for the first time after many, many years, it felt like I was talking to a stranger. It, really? I, I wasn't able to connect to this individual as, as a daughter would to, yeah. to her father. Unfortunately, until very recently, about four or five years ago, when he was diagnosed with an uh, illness and had some surgery, he was still drinking so mm-hmm. he showed me that he doesn't really want to it wasn't really yeah. yeah the way i walked away from that meeting was that at some point you have to make a decision you have to help to yourself, start somewhere you know, yeah you have to want to help yourself yeah. don't you yeah. before
1: anything else can happen
0: i don't know what the support systems are now that's what i'm looking to to, to do in terms of Romania by helping mm-hmm. the next generation uh, with justice and care to prevent them from falling into a, a life of of harm or becoming criminals yeah. creating opportunities protecting those who have been harmed and, and how, how do we navigate the complexities around that yeah
1: sounds quite incredible so i'm asking everybody that comes on this, this podcast mm-hmm. the same question but who or what or if there was a moment that you would say gave you your first big career break
0: mm, i will have to give this credit <laughs> even though i may not want to but i have to give this credit to my my husband so we married in a just five weeks ago now, so newly married. Oh, together for four years. Thank you very much. Um, so the partnership coordinator role, which is how I came to the attention of the network. I remember looking at that particular job and I had just finished my law degree. So going back to my me being twenty seven, not only have I made the decision of not having my own children, but I also embarked on a law degree to finally achieve what mm. I wanted to do when I was sixteen. But did
1: you did you do some vocational training as part of your work? In the government, yeah, it? so yeah, you know, so you yeah absolutely. Of, yeah, you pick yeah. up lots
0: of credits yeah. that are sufficient enough to to be classed as a certificate yeah. or a qualification. Yeah. Of various, various training to help you manage the, the programs or monitor or or whatever the need was at that moment in time. So I remember I, I embarked on this law degree and uh, I was working full time and studying full time. Okay. So I did that for three years. I would not recommend it. I was it. going to say, how did
1: that go? Yeah, not very well.
0: <laughs> no, you, you don't have a lot of sleep and pretty much you have no life, It's zero life. Anyway, lo and behold, I meet who is now my husband in my last year of, of my degree. I remember thinking the first year after finishing my degree, what should I be, what should I do with this? You know, I, I said yes to the degree because it was a challenge, it was going to keep me focused, mm. it was a, a wish that I wanted to to achieve, but what do I do with it? And during my degree, I looked at human rights issues, of course, that that's always going to be my, my calling. And human trafficking became one of my focus sort of areas and realizing mm-hmm. that a human being can be bought and sold, You can put a price tag on me, you just can't get your head around that. And then when I saw the prices, anything from a hundred pounds for a human being, you know, to five, six thousand pounds, that's the sort of trade price, not even the retail with profit price. So I just could not get my head around how. How is
1: that even quantified? How do you say you're worth a hundred pounds? Oh, it's, ba- do you, it's, it's based
0: on the on, mind just boggles. Yeah. As it's the, based on the demand. So if the demand is on children, virgins, right, males, females, uh, skin colour, um, height body measurements, uh, hair length,
1: sick, right? it really yeah. is,
0: it's ridiculous, it, it's not even ridiculous, it's, it does make you feel sick. Mm. So I started looking into this, and I um, registered as a member with the British Institute of Human Rights, and then my sister is also prosecuting in Romania, so again, going back to both my sisters, sisters had a different lifestyle to what I had, because they were mm. from another sort of marriage, and there was a, a huge case, is still going on in Romania, uh, six, seven years later. So I was able to look into how human trafficking, well, humans as a commodity was being used, mm-hmm. um, and then the drugs and the firearms, so got my head around that. Uh, and then this this particular role was advertised, um, and I thought, right, they need someone to start their responses mm-hmm. towards this crime type. I have two years, or 18 months actually, because they recruited quite late, you know, should I do it? And, can I do it and do I have enough skills to do it and it's you know I'm putting into practice something that I've only really seen in theory Um, and then of course project managing but I've done that for many years Mm. is it the same so it was my husband who then said I absolutely have every faith in you that not only will you do it you will completely change the landscape for it So Applied was successful and within 18 months we went from 40 victims, or 40 offences in two counties to my last working day last March was 664 identified. We went from just a small number of organised networks, criminal networks to double figures. Um, We built a, uh, through my my leading the teams, we built a model that brought various sectors together in such Mm -hmm. a way. That everyone had the right responsibilities and the right level of involvement. It just it just showed me that the power of bringing the right people together mm-hmm. <laughs> and what it can achieve. So, I would say my credit for the last five years' successes would probably start with doing that application form by being supported entirely by by. Now um, my husband. That little push. And, yeah. that, and
1: give you the, the confidence. Yeah.
0: There it? was probably about seven different pushes, because I remember it was like several days yeah. worth of, shall I, shall I, do I do not, this. I can't do it, yeah. I don't think I can. I mean, I, I know what I'm about, but this is maybe too it's much, so and it's serious. It. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, But I embraced it, and uh, to this day, I'm, I'm still learning, of course you do, you have to learn to develop. Yeah. But the 18 months were uh, so much, you know, sort of missed dinners, missed... Uh, events, long hours, um, and ultimately I was able to sleep that much better at night because once I've seen the problem and our response to it, and then fast forward 18 months later and we saw our responses and what it did, it saved an incredible amount of of lives. That was the satisfying bit about the job. It becomes
1: tangible, right? Yeah. You've actually saved lives. Yeah. Yeah your passion is palpable it's, it's, like it's infectious it's, it's quite it's, it's nice it's nice to be yeah. in a room with you because you can really get a feeling that you yeah. love what you do which so many, so many people out there probably don't quite buy into what it is that they're yeah. doing but I suppose it doesn't necessarily have to be as something as serious as human trafficking yeah. but as long as you care and have a passion and an yeah. enthusiasm for what you do
0: and it, it always goes back down to being, being kind because if you know that that's who you are then it doesn't matter what topic you yeah. happen to be drawn towards whether it's you know a children area or the poverty or or HIV whatever that mm. topic is you will you will find an entry point uh, and you will find a way to give something uh, yeah. to that particular uh, field whether it's your experience whether it's your time whether it's your donations you find an entry point and then you do it because you believe in it and you want to see changes so
1: i think for me that is the bit that i'm happy to leave behind as a legacy so talking about kindness brings us Mm. very nicely on to how you got involved with the women of the future program could you tell us a bit more yes so someone nominated me
0: you don't know know who (laughs) no they still won't tell me who was the actual person i was a whole I had a whole team of of fans, (laughs) (laughs) um, I had um, a tactical team that I used to work with, uh, some of the the, the greatest people I have ever come across in terms of, of course I'm going to say that, but Mm. in, in terms of aligning our characters and who we are and what we're all about. And we worked very closely together. And they were probably my biggest fans on everything I did. They just said, you know, you just change things. You just bring life into a place and, and you just make things happen. Um, and you are more than deserving of, of this recognition. The application one in. I was not told that I was shortlisted. I didn't have to go through an interview. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely full of anxieties interview.
1: But well, don't you think that's a great way to do it? Because obviously on paper a CV, a covering letter can yeah. tell a completely different story to actually sitting down and have a conversation with somebody, yeah. yeah, it makes it so much more personal but you'd think, I know you can't do that as part of a job yeah. application process, but I think that really made a difference
0: Absolutely, yeah. I think my judges were just we definitely overrun our time. <laughs> as you've noticed, I do talk a lot. Ooh. I am known to just talk. Um, the, the final great step was that you've, you've read all about me mm. and you've seen my, my results, um, whatever that they had in that application form, but meet the person behind it and meet the character behind it and, and get a feel for for who they are as, as an individual. And that absolutely works um, in anything you do. I think you should be able to mm. have have that interaction with, with those individuals. And then I found out that I was the winner on the night.
1: How did you feel?
0: Oh my God. I remember walking up to the stage and I should have not worn heels. <laughs> I think my advice would be do not wear any heels because you're shaking so much. Your your ankles are just going everywhere. I had this really long pair of, of sort of uh, black trousers. I had like a tuxedo type suit on. And luckily you couldn't see my feet shaking. But yeah, so I kept thinking to myself, oh my God, oh my God, do not trip. Do not trip on those steps. Do not fall on your face. What do I say? I'm mm. going to just cry. <laughs> and um, I did. Oh. <laughs> they said, you can say something if you want to. I was not aware I could have prepared for it. Uh, and I remember even now to this day, I still sort of think, oh, I wish I had said that. And I wish I had said that message. You know, I wish I just said that one line because it would have been great for everyone to hear it. Anyway, so I picked up... Um, the, the award and it was just fantastic it felt like a dream you know the mm. whole environment and, and the, the, the amount of people who actually wanted to be part of that was just just crazy just amazing and then uh, a lot of opportunities were opened up to to become an ambassador to mm. speak to the next generation you know bring them on board so yeah it's been it's just amazing. Mm. Just something, I think I should, I should write a book. And this would feature a whole chapter oh, yeah, would be really? on the women of the future. <laughs> you should definitely write a book. You should
1: definitely should. I've got some quick final questions. Go for it. Okay. What would you describe as your greatest success? Professionally, uh, is being able
0: to put a structure in place that comes in at, at an hour of need for another mm. human being there's something there that can turn someone's life completely around. Okay. Uh, personally, uh, it's learning to be a stepmother. I would say there is no book about it. Maybe no. I should write one. <laughs> um, How old
1: are your stepchildren? They are
0: eight and twelve now. Right. And um, I had I had a you know the the, the privilege of being the step parent for four years. Um, and I'm more challenged now than I was then. But yeah, learning to be a step-parent because you have so many so many things just genuinely you go through feelings like... Even jealousy. I was actually yeah. jealous of my partner spending time with his kids, which is so crazy mm. um, because I'm having to share something that I never had to share before. And you grow to be quite, quite set in your ways. Mm. You know, you don't particularly like certain things messed up with or moved yeah. about. So yeah. you have to really change and, and go with it. And I think if you become a mother from start to finish, you probably grow to be like that. Whereas I was given a five-year-old and an eight-year-old and (laughs) (laughs) learn to have two little ones around your life. And um, so, yeah, learning to be a stepmom was really, really challenging and and, and absolutely fantastic experience. And hopefully that will remain the case for the rest of my life. Okay. And your greatest failure? there are many sort of professional and in my personal life there's many times where i would say i won't be repeating that again mm. um maybe i would have invested into me so say that the, the the law degree for example yeah. a lot sooner than than when i did so Failing to put myself first uh, and putting a dream or a vision above that, so you know, I want these 2.5 kids and a perfect house with a white kind of picket fence and mm-hmm. happily married sort of vision was sort of overrode everything else mm-hmm. um, that I could have invested in as in myself as a person as well. Yes. So a lot of the things were sort of delayed because I've put this vision in my head and maybe completely took over my path. It led me. Yeah,
1: but maybe that was what your path was supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I I strongly believe that. We all
0: have a a life plan and and somehow uh, one way or another it's going to unfold itself Mm. and there's nothing we can do to prevent it um, or or to to change its course. But I think not having a childhood and then not having the traditional teenage years where you just have a bit of fun Mm. and just experience life, I would probably see that as, as my failure to make up for that maybe in my early twenties when I was in a good place. But yeah. I instead I chose marriage and house and, you know, serious stuff because that's what I felt I was meant to do. If I think of some how let no, you know but no, there's no, nothing on the no. spot that I could say I'm sure I am sure others
1: might yeah, see things differently. that's still a good answer. So. so the mantra of women of the future is we've touched on it already, kindness but also collaboration. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you?
0: There is absolutely nothing that can be done when you're collaborating with others and whether it's complete strangers, whether it's a network you're familiar with, you can't do it alone. Whatever that is, you have to have people behind you, you have to have the resources behind you. So for me, to make things happen and to have an impact, you can't do it alone. You need to collaborate. You must bring others in.
1: And do you think women need to do I, I think women need to do it more. I think we all kind of go about in our own little bubbles sometimes mm-hmm. and you're very focused on what it is that you're doing. Yeah. And I think also sometimes, I've, I've experienced this, women can see other women as a threat yeah. rather than trying to help them or assist them or point them in the right direction. Do you think yeah. we could all get a bit better at doing that?
0: Oh my goodness, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I've seen it myself as well um, mm-hmm. over my working life when you become a threat and even now I still try and think you know what is threatening you know what what about me would be mm. threatening to others and how could I minimize that feeling in my female sort of counterparts but again it comes back down to kindness and I think if you're missing that if you if you don't have that and you, you're not humble as, as an individual it's how do we help them mm. to feel that and to become that because when you have the kindness present when you're really grounded you allow for others to grow and and exceed you, go beyond you, um, and help them get there as well, help them develop. We can absolutely work harder at how can we change each other's perceptions and points of view through our own behaviors um, rather than challenge it or fight it or Mm. withdraw from it so that we do open more opportunities for us. In a world of Everything has deadlines. Everything has work pressures, austerity, uh, long hours, managing a household, kids, and a, and a and a job. Whatever however successful that is, it's very hard to find time. So again, it, it falls up to us to be able to be really innovative in achieving that. Those moments where we mm-hmm. can we can come in and and help one another.
1: Is there anything that scares you?
0: No. Not even
1: spiders. <laughs> no, I've learned to deal with them quite young. <laughs> I quite like spiders. No, no I. That's good.
0: Um, there was a time actually I was quite scared of, of dying mm. at the end of my life. And I'm pretty sure I'm not alone. And <laughs> I remember I kept thinking, this is ridiculous. I can't go through life thinking, oh my God, I don't want to die because we're not yeah, eternal. Yes. And I thought, but how do I, what do I do with this? So I just started thinking, okay, so if. I die that I means Tom Hardy at some point will die and so will George Clooney and <laughs> so will be some of you know the top heads of, of this world so we're all we're yeah. all going to go at some point yeah. so that that was good enough for me to get over that yeah. fear
1: and that was that since yeah life doesn't discriminate between the rich and the poor it doesn't whether, yeah, it doesn't whether you're wonderful you're horrible yeah. it doesn't matter we're all going to die it's not very morbid but yeah, yeah. it's a fact of life yeah
0: it? so i think probably my biggest fear is that we lose momentum and we walk away from things that uh, we should fight for, we should mm-hmm. be involved in, we should uh, step in, we should say something about. And that would be my fear, that I'll wake up one day and something happens that I can't be who I am and, mm-hmm. and I can't do more than what I'm already doing. But other than that,
1: no. What's left on your to-do list?
0: Ah, uh, what isn't? <laughs> <laughs> is
1: it's quite long, is it really? Um... Long? <laughs> Because I was,
0: uh, I have already lived probably two or three different lives uh, and I have done some travelling, there's probably a few more countries I would like to go in and travel. There's yet a few dreams that I want to achieve so when I'm old enough and ugly enough, I would like to be able to work more with children affected by domestic violence by offering a sort of a, a more intensive time support programmes. I would want to be at a stage where I can give my full time for that and, and all of my resources. So that's later, much later in life. Uh, learn to cycle properly, I would say. I've uh, learned to swim properly in the <laughs> last you know, few we years. As in not drowning. Oh, I see. I think
1: that's fairly that's important. <laughs> <laughs> when you're yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So learn uh, to cycle properly. So I have learned to cycle when I was very young. Um, then I haven't cycled well properly anyway for many, many decades. And now if I get on a bike Mm. and on the main road, I will most categorically hurt myself or kill Mm -hmm. myself.
1: Well, London's notoriously bad.
0: Uh, I will never cycle in London. If anything, I'll just choose a field somewhere and just cycle on the field. So at some point I have to learn how to do it safely. But there aren't any big um, things. For me, home life is just as important as my work life. And whatever I do, these two are always balanced. So the same level of energy that I put into my work, I have to have the same level of energy for my home time. And we can't always get it right, I know. Sometimes I'll have slow days at work and sometimes I'll have slow days at home. But because I'm very conscious of how much love and attention and care I put into my eight, 10 hours a day with my work family mm-hmm. and my, my environment. Just as much has to go into my home life. So I get to do things all the time and experience new things all the time and, and feed my soul all the time. So I never really feel like I'm missing anything. Generally, whatever I say I'm gonna do, I find a way and do it I, i'm a doer
1: <laughs> i'm not sure anyone's gonna stop you so. no <laughs> <laughs> sleep maybe yeah you want got to sleep thank you so much Christina. No. it's been a pleasure speaking to
0: you oh, it's absolute
1: my pleasure too so thank you kim for your time thank you for listening to this week's episode of the woman of the future podcast if you enjoyed it please hit the subscribe button and while you're there why not give us a rating and review you know you want to For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.